0: History happened everywhere, out of office, a random place, a random time and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge? Find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected and share the stories you're listening to.
1: History happened everywhere.
0: Hello, my name is Ryan Weir, and I'm here in the HHE studio with the spilt milk to my salty tears. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. Why do you weep, Ryan? I'm crying, Pete, because I'm not in the HHE studio today. We are out of the HHE studio.
1: Yes, we were on holiday, but now we've been detained for reasons that we cannot disclose.
0: <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with anything that's in my bag.
1: <laughs> Did you pack your own bag, sir? No, a nice man gave it to me. <laughs> So, in
0: this out of office special, we spun the Desolator in advance and it gave us geography in Montenegro during 1000 BCE to 1 BCE. So, what have the listeners got in store for today?
1: Well, Ryan, we are off to the Adriatic, to Montenegro, the poloing, Euro using Balkan nation which hasn't been around for very long. We're going to discover a fjord that is not a fjord, a queen who stood up against the might of the Romans, and discover a natural body of water so aesthetically pleasing that it lured the likes of the Illyrians and the Romans. Welcome to the land of .me. Welcome to the Black Mountain. Welcome to Montenegro.
0: All right, Pete. Well, look, I
1: am excited. I want to know things about Montenegro. Tell me them. I have things. I have things for you. We are in Montenegro. Or to give it its formal name... Montenegro. It is a republic, but unlike almost all the countries we've had before, it's not the kingdom of the Republic of. Apparently they're just cool with the smart casual of Montenegro.
0: I love that. It's like Madonna.
1: Exactly. You know who we are. We don't need to flourish it at all. This is a country on the Adriatic Sea. That is the sea that is to the right, to the east of the Italian boot, if you will. So in fact, if you start out in Italy about the ankle of the boot and head east across the Adriatic, you will hit your country of Montenegro. More countries
0: should be shaped like other things it's
1: way easy to
0: know exactly where you're talking about when you say the ankle of italy
1: absolutely the geography would be so much easier if it was done in the way of sort of uh, playing tokens from board games or something. exactly some, if everything looked like a dog or a giraffe or something it'd be fine yeah <laughs> anyway so this country borders albania serbia bosnia herzegovina and kosovo uh, it's not a huge place. 14,000 square kilometres, 5,300 square miles, which means France is about 4,000% bigger. You need 40 Montenegros to make a France. That's kind of cool. I had no idea. I thought it was a little bit bigger than that. Oh, it's a cuddly little place with 605,000 people compared to France's 68 million. So <laughs> it's a small place with, with enough people to be comfortable, I would say. Yeah. Now, geographically, you've got high mountains in the north ascending down to sea level at the coast. Uh, typically, it looks like a lot of craggy hills and forested mountains. Which is hardly surprising because Montenegro is said to mean Black Mountain, hmm. uh, which you can understand.
0: I do. It also sounds like somewhere that Tolkien would have written about Black
1: Mountain. It does a bit, doesn't it? Mm. We cannot pass through Black Mountain undetected. <laughs> 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 yeah. Now, the flag. The flag, Ryan, is rather cool. It's red with a golden border, making it look a little bit like a National Geographic magazine on its own. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. And in the middle of it, it's got the coat of arms of the country, which is a two-headed eagle in gold with a shield in front of it. And on the shield, there's a lion on the shield and a little bit of blue and green colour as well there as well. And I think it looks super cool. I really like this one.
0: I'm guessing there
1: are no two-headed
0: eagles or lions in Montenegro either now or ever.
1: I doubt you will find many two-headed eagles from history. I think it's a metaphorical symbolic two-headed eagle, but lions, I don't know. You say that, but they drew pictures <laughs> of it, so... True that. Maybe there was one. You never know. You only need one. Now, interestingly, it is, depending on how you measure it, which is essentially whether you count Kosovo, it is either the second or third newest country in the world. Very cool. <laughs> little baby country. A little baby country. I'm so I'm going to say second, because uh, Kosovo has not yet been recognised by the United Nations. So <laughs> let's call them the second newest country in the world. Yeah. Sorry, Kosovo.
0: Like the area has been there. It's not like erupted out of the ocean and suddenly there's a country. Absolutely.
1: Yes, it hasn't just appeared. It's obviously been around for a very long time. These Balkan countries have a massive amount of history and history happened everywhere, as we know. Mm. The capital is Podgorica and Montenegro is not a member of the European Union. It's not part of the Eurozone. So uh, would you care to guess what currency they use? Uh... Uh, If I
0: had to guess, I mean, I guess they're near Italy. No, they use the euro, don't they?
1: It's the euro. Oh, it is the euro. (laughs) It is the euro. They adopted unilaterally in 2002 the euro as their currency. So the European Commission like, what? It's your currency too now, is it? Wait, you're allowed to
0: do that without being part of the European Union?
1: Put it this way, the European Union spokesperson said, the conditions for the adoption of the euro are clear. That means, first and foremost, to be a member of the (laughs) EU. (laughs) So how are they doing it then? Are they just wielding in barrels
0: of euros and giving it out to everyone?
1: it's a de facto currency that everyone, as with all currencies, if everyone agrees that it's the currency, then I guess it just is, isn't it? There's not a lot the euro can do about it, is there?
0: I guess it does force their hand into pushing you towards membership.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and they are actually, I think, quite interested in membership so yeah at the time i think they've softened a bit but at the time i think european union were a little irked that their currency had been adopted independently by someone going yeah we'll, you will use that that looks handy <laughs> <laughs> but that is montenegro that was awesome thanks pete no worries So, Ryan, we know where we are, but what about the when? What happened in Montenegro's history? The first evidence of early
0: man dates back to the Paleolithic, uh, sometime around 1.5 million years ago. Our hairy ancestors were fishing off the coast and hunting and gathering in the steep and rugged mountain ranges, until eventually, sometime in the Bronze Age, a tribe called the Illyri appear, and they dominate the region for nearly a 1,000 years, fending off all sorts of attempts by the Greeks to set up colonies there. Now, around the 2nd century BCE, the Illyri faced stiff competition in the form of the Roman Republic. And these are the guys who are advancing across Europe, stomping on tribes, and taking names. They were roaming around. (laughs) They were roaming around. But it ain't all bad, though, Pete, because the Romans are doing their thing of introducing roads, architecture, sanitation, and murder as entertainment. I love murder. They did. They really loved loved it. Such (laughs) fun. We love it, they said. And they hang on in the area for several hundred years until eventually the Western Roman Empire falls and the remnants Scarpa. Now this leaves a huge power vacuum and the ones to fill it are the Slavic people of Central Europe. So a large migration of Slavs enter into the area and they quickly establish several states and principalities which are still around today. In 1042, there is a revolt of the people led by Stefan Voisla, which leads to the rise of the Voislavic dynasty, who proclaimed the area a kingdom called Dukla, which pretty much corresponds with the shape of modern day Montenegro. But the dynasty lasted just over a century before it comes to an abrupt and bloody end. Thereafter, the Middle Ages proves to be a rather turbulent time for the region, with several powerful noble families each battling it out amongst themselves, trying to take their opportunity to rule. But that all comes to a stop in the late 15th century, when the Ottoman Empire arrives, riding in on their horses and wielding weapons that sees them become the de facto power in the region for the next 400 years, right into the 19th century, in fact. But nothing lasts forever, Pete, as we have learned, and after a long struggle against the Ottoman rule, Montenegrins join forces with the Russians and defeat the Turks in the Russo-Turkish War of 1877. So in 1878, the Treaty of Berlin was signed, which officially recognised Montenegro as an independent nation. What then follows is a period of growth and modernization until the 20th century, when at the end of the First World War in 1918, Montenegro becomes part of the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, renamed later in 1929 as the Kingdom of Yugoslavia. Thus, a socialist era begins around 1945 under the leadership of Josip Tito, during which time Montenegro becomes one of six republics in the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, and it finds itself subject to a lot of changes in the way that they'd been living, amongst which the government taking control of most of the industries and businesses and the education system being nationalised. But despite these reforms, the country also experiences significant progress with infrastructure and standards of living improving for many people, possibly as a result result of an increase of tourism, because it's at this time that the region becomes known as a haven for travellers and holidaymakers. The socialist era ends in 1992, and at the dawn of the 21st century, in 2006, Montenegro conducts a national referendum, and the people vote overwhelmingly for independence. And that's where we find Montenegro today. Officially, one of the youngest countries in the world, they've started to integrate with Europe, they joined NATO in 2017, and as we've mentioned, they're on the candidate list to join the European Union. They're considered modern and progressive, yet still balance that future looking approach with sort of a deeply held, passion for their rich and diverse past. And as a people, the Montenegrins have continually shown resilience and adaptation in the face of challenging times. And like the rugged landscape and the rolling Adriatic Sea around them, the proud and enduring spirit of the people will continue to be a feature of this impressive nation for a long time to come.
1: Sounds like a good place to be. It certainly does. Bring your Euros. So Ryan, we've learnt about the country, the place and the history, but now what about the specific topic and time we're going to be talking about?
0: Yeah, that's right. The later kindly gave us geography in Montenegro during 1000 BCE to 1 BCE, so a thousand years
1: there to look through.
0: And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to split this up, aren't we, Pete? I'm going to take the first bit, you're going to take the second one. So we're going to have two stories to tell you, and I'm going to start with the first one.
1: That means I'm the one at risk of you covering my material and having to do something quickly on the fly. <laughs> yeah. Get Googling,
0: Pete. Okay, so first thing I want you to do is I want you to imagine a river that flows into an ocean
1: I can do that, it's wet,
0: it's windy (laughs) Now as the river gets closer to the sea, it slows down and it spreads out Now this creates a wide, shallow area with a lot of mud and sand for plants and animals to live in This is a type of estuary known as a ria And in Montenegro, the most famous ria is the Bay of Qatar also known as the Boka, Located in the bottom left corner of Montenegro, the Boka is roughly 28 kilometres, 17 miles long, 10 kilometres, that's about 6.2 miles wide, and so deep that ships of up to 60 metres, 200 feet long, can easily travel through it. Home to several small towns, the Bay of KOTOR has crystal blue waters and is surrounded by the Dinaric Alps, one of the oldest mountain ranges in Europe, which rises up to 1,000 metres around 3,300 feet high. It's home to a number of different species of animals and plants, including dolphins, seals and sea turtles, some which are unique to the area, like bioluminescent jellyfish, the Balkan trout and the KOTOR wall lizard, a six-inch brown lizard that can be found... On the walls? On the walls. That's exactly where you'll find the wall lizard. I thought it
1: was a trick, but it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't.
0: (laughs) In fact, the Boca is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site, considered to be one of the most beautiful bays in the world. And it's because of its stunning natural beauty and hot Mediterranean summers that the Boca today is considered a hotspot destination for tourists who come to sail, fish, kayak, dive and hike around it to their heart's content. The bay is even a popular filming location, having been featured in films like the James Bond classic Casino Royale and the film The Phantom of the Opera. But it's not just today that the Bocker attracts visitors. In fact, the place is riddled with a number of different historical sites. It was once used as a hideout by pirates. It was even the site of a major battle during World War I. There's even evidence of early man having settled in the region during the Neolithic. But it's during our time period, between 1000 to 1 BCE, that we see the most significant development in the area. Now, you may recall from the history section that we talked about the Illyrians. They were the tribe who dominated the region during this time. Well, because they were a seafaring people, they were the first ones who saw the opportunities that the geography of the Bokka had for their survival. They established settlements in the bay, including the Ryzen, the Tivat and Kotor itself, and based themselves there as a centre of their trade and commerce. They built walls, towers and forts throughout the bay to protect themselves from attacks by their arch enemies, the Greeks, and relied upon the natural mountain range behind them to protect themselves from any attempts at land-based attacks too. And the fortifications, Pete, were sophisticated. They were built on high ground, often from local rock. They even equipped them with water supplies and underground passages, too, in case they got trapped inside. And remains of these early Illyrian fortresses can be visited today. If you go to the region, there's several little fortresses you can go and have a little wander around. But as strong as their defensive measures were, the Illyrians ultimately succumbed to a Roman invasion in the 3rd century BCE. And the Bay of Couture became part of the Roman Empire. And the Romans weren't stupid, Pete. They also saw the benefits of this magnificent entrance to the Adriatic Sea as a strategic location for their own empire. And so they decided to use it as their main trading route between the Roman Empire and the East. So they continued to develop the bay, building a number of roads, bridges and aqueducts, and generally making the region a secure and effective base of operations. In fact, in the first century BCE, it was the Romans who founded the city of Cataro from the Greek word for waterfall cataractis, which is how the modern-day town of Kator got its name, and for which the Bocca is now called the Bay of
1: Kator. Wow. That's good stuff, Ryan. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> no, that was great stuff, Ryan. And uh, I have to say, I'm both delighted that I learned so much more about the Bay of Kotor, but also relieved because I am also going to talk about the Bay of Kotor after this break, but not in the same way. Ooh. <laughs> All
0: right, Peter, you're up. I'm going to pass the
1: baton. So I'm going to have to hurriedly rejiggle my intro because my intro goes, the Bay of Kotor is a remarkable geographical feature. So <laughs> <laughs> let's skip that. You've explained quite effectively it's a deep water bay. Now, you also mentioned the town of Rhizon. I did, yeah. It was one of the early Illyrian towns. It's not just one of the towns, Ryan. It's actually the oldest recorded settlement in the Bay of Kotor. Oh, really? Is that right? I did not pick that up. No, the earliest mention of Rhizon dates back to about 330 BCE, and this is in a document known as the Periplus of Pseudo-Skylax. <laughs> How awesome is that? <laughs> I don't understand any of those words, but I love all of it. The Periplus is a circumnavigation, so it's a guide to travelling around the Mediterranean. And Skylax was a geographer, and it was assigned, attributed to Skylax, but they don't think it was Skylax, hence Pseudo-Skylax. Pseudo-Skylax. Yeah, the Periplus of Pseudo-Skylax. I love that. Now, the Periplus tells us that the town of Rhizom was home to a people called the Enchili, also known as the Eel People. The Eel People. The Eel People. And they were a tribe of Illyrians who you mentioned, mm-hmm. Illyrians, so kind of had control of that area. Uh, at, at some point, I'm not exactly sure when, that tribe was taken over by a different Illyrian tribe called, and I'm going to have some pronunciation problems here because I couldn't find a consistent way of pronouncing it on the internet. It's spelt A R D I a e i and i think it's r d i e <laughs> so the r d a e were a tribe of illyrians who eventually take over the area of rhizon sounds like a chant r d i e now the r d i e developed the their territory under one particularly effective leader who was a man named agron uh, and his tribe expanded their reach and the soon had established kind of a, an r d i e empire uh, the Greek historian Polybius wrote of him in 150 BCE as Agron king of the Illyrians possessed the most powerful force by both land and sea of any of the kings who reigned in Illyria before him wow he was a strong so dude he built a good old empire and, uh, and the geography relevance here is that as you rightly point out the geography kind of dictated the nature of the empire it's a coastal empire more focused on going up and down the coast than going through the mountains which are much more difficult to terrain to pass now eventually Agron died in 231 BCE, and his wife, who was a woman named Tutor, took on the role of regent. So they had a son, but he was a small child. And so she became the regent, and she made the town of Rhizon her capital. So it actually became the capital of Illyria. Wow, that's amazing. So Tutor took a slightly different approach to ruling, because as well as informally invading places, as her husband had done, she basically sends the navy off and tells all the ships of her uh, nation, go on, go and be pirates, just pirate around the place and see how it works out for you. (laughs) So they go off and start raiding across the Adriatic Sea problem was a lot of those merchant vessels lived and were based just across the adriatic which as you have also mentioned is italy or as it was known in those days rome
0: wow yeah you don't want to mess with those guys
1: yeah so the Illyrian reigning got so bad the merchants kept complaining to the senate which is the ancient equivalent of writing to your mp <laughs> outraged uh, and eventually they felt they really had to do something and as you again pointed out they decided to attack but before they did that the romans sent representatives across the adriatic to scodra which is in now, in what is now Albania, to have a word with the Queen. And they arrived and they said, do you mind not doing so much pirating? Yeah. It's kind of annoying. Stop nicking our stuff. Exactly. And Tuton replied, quote, it was contrary to the custom of the Lyrian kings to hinder their subjects from winning booty from the sea, hmm. a.k.a. stuff you, we like pirating, we're going to keep doing it.
0: Yeah, also booty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Now, the ambassadors apparently lost their temper a bit with the Queen on this, and they were sufficiently rude in their replies to her that, quote, she took this frankness ill and was so enraged at the speech that defying the law of nations when the ambassadors were leaving in their ship, she sent emissaries to assassinate the one who had been so bold of speech. Wow. Now, that might not have been a good idea, though, because now in 229 BCE, Rome declares war. Mm-hmm. so they raise an army consisting of about 20,000 troops 200 cavalry units an entire fleet of 200 ships floats across the Adriatic to do battle wow
0: on the whole Rome tends to score highly in their attacking of people
1: yeah and that's uh, I mean spoilers but yeah <laughs> Okay. in fact in first contact they didn't even have to do battle the tutor's lieutenant who was a guy called Demetrius just went oh, I'm going to be on your side actually this sounds great <laughs> yeah I feel him so I'm on his no, side I do too yeah. it's bad but yeah, I get it <laughs> yeah. So then the Romans start working their way down the coast with Tutor retreating until she has to take refuge back in her capital of Rhizon. And again, you've pointed out, this is where geography plays a part again. So the geography of this area makes brilliant for defence. It's highly fortified. You've got the mountains at your back. Mm -hmm. You've got one direction of attack by sea. And that involves passing through a very narrow strait, which you didn't mention, called Verige. Verige is like this little bottleneck in the bay. And it's believed that the name Verige derives from the word for chains named after at some point in history not necessarily this point chains that were strung across the strait to prevent ships coming in oh that's kind of cool so it would just smash the masts and stuff yeah i guess they just oh i don't know i'm not sure if it goes under the water or above the water but yeah the ship can't pass oh, past because okay. you've looped a chain
0: it makes more across. sense to do it under the water
1: i don't think well, i would have been very know. good at tactics back in the day <laughs> tighten it <laughs> put tighten some it. flags on it so you could see it properly <laughs> uh, so yeah so this is a well defensible position so she's and it's her capital so she's basically hiding out really there hoping that the winter will come and the romans will go home but as again you pointed out the romans do not go home they just keep on coming Uh, and eventually tutor realizes the gig is up basically so the following spring in 228 bce she gives up and she basically agrees a treaty with the romans and that means she's going to pay tribute to rome she has to cut down on the piracy as was originally requested down Um, on the piracy (laughs) (laughs) and she has to give up a large chunk of her territory now, unfortunately, after this treaty, we don't really know what happened. T- Tutor was either abdicated or she was forced to abdicate. Mm. And then she just disappears from history, really. We're not sure. Abdicated out of a high window. To. Yeah, possibly. I'm not sure. We don't know what happened to her, but I'm going to guess not great. Mm. But Ryzon itself doesn't disappear. As a town, it's still there today. And in a dig that started in 2010, some Polish archaeologists working in the town, they unearthed a ceramic vessel with 4,600 bronze coins in from this period, found just below a burned layer. Oh... they think this might be connected with the First Illyrian War and uh, they've discovered buildings that they think quite possibly, not sure, but could have been the Palace of Tutor herself.
0: Yeah, you see, they got it wrong. I left it there last summer after a barbecue. I, oh! I put it there and then I had a barbecue on top, forgot about yeah. it, so it's actually okay. mine. So... You know what that
1: happens so often? This is a real problem in archaeology, people like you, burying things under your barbecue business. I lost
0: my dinosaur that way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there you have it, Ryan. That is the tale of Tutor, sort of little deep dive into one little period of the exact same region that you talked about.
0: I've got to say, I think that those matched each other well as stories go.
1: Yeah, I was a little nervous when you started. Like, <gasps> that's my location.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> why I
1: went first. You did. Uh, good for you, Ryan. Yeah.
0: Well, I enjoyed that thoroughly, mate. Me too. Hope you did at home. Bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> bye. Okay bye. Goodbye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs>
0: Okay, Peter. Well, that was amazing. I'm so pleased that our stories matched in in quite the way that they did. It was nice to see an overview and then to get a bit of a deep dive and a human story too, to boot. Tabuti. <laughs> Tabuti, <to booty>, indeed. <laughs> so there's no desolation this week, Peter. We return to normal next week, but uh, that is the show for this week. So thank you all for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about, you can reach out to us through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at Pete and ryan at hhepodcast.com.
1: That's right. It warms our hearts when we hear from you and you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That's right. If you're on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at hhepodcast. And if you do that you'll get an alert every time we post extra content like new facts photos additional things we found and anything else we can think of subscribe subscribe now (laughs) (laughs) and we are going to be back again soon
0: with the verdict but until then a huge thank you to you peter thank you to
1: you Ryan. and that's it i guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to History happened everywhere. Here's your cocktail you ordered. Oh, brilliant. Little coconut, little umbrella. It's got everything. I love it, Ryan. I asked for that, especially for you. Happy holidays. it's a shame we've got to go
0: home soon, isn't it? Well, yeah, I was thinking about that, Pete. Why don't we stay for another two weeks? We could go and see the sights. We could sit on the beach. We could even do that dive trip you
1: wanted to take. Well, it's very tempting, Ryan, but we've got to get back. We can't do three out of offices in a row. Why not, Ryan? Yes, Pete? Is this because you can't find anything on communism in Antarctica during the Triassic? What? No, is it though? Yeah, it's too bad, Ryan. We've got to go back and face the music. No, another drink? Yes, please. Now, Ryan. Yes, Pete. I would like you to guess the national sport of Montenegro. Um, long jump. No, but you you are in the right ballpark of unlikely sports because it okay. is, in fact, water polo. Water polo? I know. I, I find it difficult to imagine a national sport that requires a swimming pool to conduct. But And how you can get all those horses in there. Aha! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>